and welcome to the first episode of Bookends, the podcast for writers and book lovers. I'm Philippa Moore, and I decided to start this podcast series to be a source of inspiration to writers and creative people everywhere after mourning the loss of ABC Radio National's The Book Show late last year, which used to be a, a program on in Australia. And I used to listen to that show every day on my walk to work, and I found it so invaluable in terms of staying abreast of what was going on in the literary world and staying inspired and motivated as I tried to finish writing my first novel and dared to hope that the life of a full-time writer might be a possibility for me. So when the book show was axed, there was a bit of a void in my life and I thought, instead of trying to find another podcast that might measure up, what if I just created one myself? So, here we are, nearly a year later. With Bookends, I wanted to create a program where um, interesting writers answer interesting questions about their work and about their methods, uh, and not necessarily just because they've got a book coming out. Just people who've who've done the hard yards, people who can share thoughts and wisdom from what they've learned in their writing careers to give hope to the rest of us who'd like to follow in their footsteps. So I, I really hope you'll enjoy it. The very first guest on Bookends, I'm so excited and honoured to say, is actually one of my heroes, the Australian writer Nikki Gemmell. Nikki is the author of six novels, all of which have been critically acclaimed. She has also written two works of non-fiction and she's currently a columnist for The Weekend Australian. In France, she's been described as a female Jack Kerouac, in Australia as one of the most original and engaging authors of her generation, and in the US as one of the few truly original voices to emerge in a long time. Nikki's most famous book, arguably, is The Bride Stripped Bear, which was a truly groundbreaking work of erotic fiction that she first published anonymously in 2003. It was a huge departure from her previous work, and one which has brought her a whole new audience. Nikki lived in London for many years, but she's now living back in Australia, and I was delighted that she graciously agreed to be my very first guest here on Bookends. So without further ado, here is Nikki Gemmell, author of The Bride Stripped Bear, which we discussed, among many other things. When The Bride Stripped Bear came out, I'd only read one of your books, I think. Um, I think I'd yeah. read Shiver. Yeah. And But I've actually got the anonymous one. Oh, well, there you go. Yes. It's so, probably a collector's edition uh, now. It probably is, yes. <laughs> is is The Bride Strip Bear still published? It's not published under Anonymous anymore. You know, you've definitely been outed once and for all as the author, I take it. Yes, yes. And pretty soon after I was outed, I mean, initially I kind of wanted to retain the anonymity of it because I had done that on so many levels. And it wasn't just because I wanted to disappear from the writing process of that book. I wanted it to be a story about every woman in a sense and I, I loved the mystery swirling around the idea of anonymity you know Virginia Woolf she said that anonymity is a refuge for women writers and I really took that on board and I really felt that as I was writing The Bride Strip Bear that suddenly I was freed to say all these things I may have been thinking but had never have had the courage to say you know not wanting to hurt people or whatever and just kind of very mindful of the persona I was trying to portray to the world but it was incredibly liberating, and I felt having By Anonymous on the cover harked back to all those female writers over the years, stretching back centuries, 
who felt that the only way they can have an honest voice, an excruciatingly honest voice, is to be anonymous. So I was disappointed, you know, when I was outed that A, suddenly my name was attached to this kind of sexy book, um, but also that that whole conceit of kind of aligning myself with all those anonymous women who'd written over the years was suddenly broken. But one by one, the markets basically said, you know, we know it's you now, we can't anymore dare to publish un- under the name Anonymous, particularly America. That was a big market. And I think um, the American book world was still stung a little bit from the primary colors days. And they were very reluctant to go with by Anonymous on the cover. I can't remember now, but I think right from the start, I had my name on the cover there. But in most other territories, it took a few years and suddenly, you know, later editions were appearing with my name on it. And by then I had kind of owned the idea and got used to it. But it did take me several years to kind of (laughs) own the whole experience. I was Mm. mortified for quite some time. I can imagine. So despite, I mean, The Bright Street Bear was a huge departure for you in terms of genre and subject matter. So could you perhaps tell the listeners a little bit about the sort of writing you were doing beforehand? Yeah, I, I was writing very much literary fiction and that was my world and that was, you know, my market. It was, it's a very small selling world and very kind of rarefied in a way. So for me to then suddenly embark on an erotic book felt completely kind of daring but also a little bit stupid. I felt like I'd, I'd shot myself in the foot in terms of my career and where it was heading and I think the whole thing about the Bride Street Bear and all the brouhaha about it was that I suddenly felt I'd lost control. I'd lost control of my writing life and my career. I couldn't control how my books how my writing was being perceived anymore. I couldn't control what was on the cover, all those kind of things. I suddenly had to surrender to marketing forces and all the rest of it. And as a literary fiction writer, it felt appalling at the time. It felt like I'd never be able to write again. It was it kind of seized me up. I can embrace it now because Bride has, you know, has been my most successful book, closely followed by With My Body, its follow-up. And it's not that I'm not ever going to go back to literary fiction, and I certainly will, but people now, if they pick up my works of literary fiction, they're kind of like, oh, but where's the sex? <laughs> I write, like, the, next, the next novel after The Bride Strip Bear was one called The Book of Rapture, which didn't have any sex in it at all. And I, I think there were some people, some readers, who were very disappointed by that. <laughs> So so you said that you wanted to be free to write whatever you wanted in The Bride Strip mm. Bear and to mm. encapsulate a, a universal experience. Yes. So adopting this, the anonymous persona to write it, did you have any inhibitions while writing it? Did you ever sit at, uh, at the desk and reread what you'd written and think, oh, my God, I can't believe I just wrote that <laughs> sort of thing? Or, or, was, or was it a really freeing process? It was incredibly liberating because what had happened was I started writing The Bride Strip there uh, with my name attached to it. And about three months into the whole process, I don't know if you've ever felt the same, Philippa, but the work just wasn't singing. It was like wading through thigh-high mud. I just could not get this book to take flight in any way. It was leaden. It, it just wasn't working and I was despairing. 
And that's when I read Virginia Woolf, A Room of One's Own, and she said in that anonymity is a woman's refuge. And it was just like a light, a light bulb just flicked on in my head. And from that moment, I thought, I don't have to be a part of this. I'll just remove my name from it. And it was incredibly liberating. And I think it's a good trick for a writer to use is to kind of, I've been trying to do it ever since, is pretend that people aren't going to know it's me writing. And then you just let rip. It's, mm. it's incredibly freeing. And you can suddenly say all these things that you have maybe been thinking for years, but would never have the courage or the audacity to say in your real world to your friends, your parents, your, you know, your sister, but most of all to your partner perhaps. And that was, I think, the power of the bride strip there. It felt like it was the raw underbelly of the female psyche in all its kind of beauty, but also all its real ugliness as well too. I wanted it to be very raw and excruciatingly honest. And I wanted readers to go, oh, you know, women to go, that's my thoughts. And men to be kind of perturbed by it and to perhaps be thinking, oh my goodness, is that what my partner really thinks? So to make that decision to go anonymous was enormously liberating. And I just, I just think for me, it's such a shame. I can never go down that path again. <laughs> and it was such an exciting path to go down as a writer. It completely changed everything and freed me totally. And it was exhilarating. I loved writing that book. It felt like a lot of cheeky fun as I was doing it. And it came very fast and very strong once I'd made the decision to go anonymous. And so how did that compare with writing with my body, did you feel that you had a hard act to follow and did you feel a bit more inhibited perhaps? I did. I did. I felt like, like I had a hard act to follow, but weirdly, you know, Bride, it, it's taken me about a decade of growing up really to embrace it and embrace the whole process. And I think, you know, I was in my mid 30s when I wrote Bride Strip Bear and I, I was in my kind of early to mid 40s when I wrote um, With My Body. And I think it's a whole freeing up that comes with middle age. I think, you know, when you're younger, you're so kind of wanting to keep control of that careful persona you've created for yourself and how you present yourself to the world. But there's kind of a loosening and a lightening in terms of who you are as you get older. And, you know, you just suddenly let things go and just think, well, this is me and I'm not going to change for anyone. And I felt that with writing with my body, that I suddenly had an audacity and an honesty that hadn't been there 10 years ago. And I think it's just a process of maturing, really. And what I was also interested in with my body, which is also reflected in the writing, I guess, is that I think women can feel more confident sexually and more uh, more willing to use their voice and to articulate what they want as they get older, which can lead to kind of really exciting sex and all the rest of it. But also I felt that was kind of very freeing in terms of my own writing too. And so I'm embarking now on a Bride Strip Bear 3 and I feel like, gosh, I've got no inhibitions anymore. I <laughs> certainly did 10 years ago. It's like, oh my goodness, what's happened to me? Is it is it the E.L. James world that's just kind of freeing everyone or is it that process of maturing and growing up and seeing how much the honesty of Bride Strip Bear connected with readers and feeling empowered by that? I think it's perhaps a combination of all those things.
Well, it's very interesting that you bring up E.L. James because that was going to be my next question because obviously the success of her books has given your books a a new audience and a a new lease on life, as it were, Um, because The Bride Strip Bear was 2003. Yes. So so best part of 10 years ago, and now it's had a revival because because of the Fifty Shades of Grey extravaganza. (laughs) Yes. You you said when we spoke on Google Plus that you know you're so pleased that E. L. James came onto the scene, <laughs> but what what I'm really interested in is the fact that it's it's now women writing erotica and erotic fiction for women is now so in the mainstream, mm. and and everybody's talking about it and people read the books openly on the tubes and on the trains and on the buses here and. They don't seem to mind, whereas, um, and this is something I wrote about in my post, that writers like Anais Nin and D.H. Lawrence, you know, their books had to have brown paper over the covers mm. if you wanted to read them in public, you know, mm. 40, mm. 50 years ago. So we've come, really come a long way. Yes. But what I find exciting about The Fifty Shades of Grey is that hopefully if people enjoy that, then they'll, they'll look at what else might be out there and then it will lead, lead them to books like yours, which are very sexy, but they're, so, they're really full of psychology and tenderness and the intimacy of human relationships and the intricacy and complexity of them. So I just wondered what you had to, to say about all of that. Yes, th- thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I am very excited by the whole E.L. James Fifty Shades phenomenon because I feel like it's a real watershed in terms of women reading and women writing, that we can finally be open about these things. I think women have always been excited by this writing, but excited in the past in a kind of embarrassed way, an assertive way, that we wouldn't discuss it. And now, as you say, we can. We can discuss these things. We can read them openly on the tube. We can do all those things. And I, I'm like, hallelujah, this is fantastic. It's freed me and firmed me in terms of this kind of writing that I do. And it's br- brought me a whole new audience, as I'm sure it has, you know, Pauline Riage, Anais Nin, uh, yes, D.H. Lawrence, Lady Chatterley's Lover, all these books. There's some wonderful writing amongst all of that and very, very literary writing. So I feel like it has become, it has come full circle in a way that E.L. James has led us into more literary paths of eroticism. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, who knows what the future holds, but I feel like it's, it's wonderful that I've been given a whole new audience and it certainly helped, helped me with um, Bride Strip Bear's follow-up with my body because that's just fresh on the scene and it's it feels very timely in terms of me that this has all happened now it's like I thank you James every night (laughs) (laughs) for paying my kids school fees um and um and just kind of yeah bringing me a whole audience that will discuss these things openly which is wonderful so going on to you know writing generally now um do you think that achieving this kind of success that you've enjoyed with Bride Strip Bear and with My Body, has that freed you as well? Or do you feel that you have to keep producing books in a similar vein to keep the audience happy? No, well, funnily enough, as I've, just before your phone call, and I'm just about to go back to it now, I'm, <laughs> I'm writing a children's book. 
So, um, you know, I'm kind of a bit like J.K. Rowling here in terms of... I'm, I'm, I'm uh, polar opposites there. <laughs> going between genres here, perhaps even more wildly than J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> From erotica to children's writing. I've never felt constrained in a way in terms of wanting to dip into different genres. In fact, the only genre that I did feel constrained by was the, you know, the erotic, erotica genre, which is why E.L. James has kind of uh, caused the celebration in terms of my career. <laughs> but there are many things I want to do. And I feel like with my writing, every book is a violent reaction to the previous one. I, I need that in a way to keep me interested in the process, to keep me interested in writing. I don't want to repeat myself. I almost have to cleanse myself of the process by attempting something challenging and different. And the book of Rapture that came after Bride Street Bear was very, very different. And this book that I'm working on now is extremely different to With My Body. And then straight after that, I've got to finish this by December, I'm going straight on to Bride 3. So Bride it's three. a real kind of roller coaster in terms of genres at the moment. So, I mean, with you, you've had a, a lot of attention, obviously, since Bride Strip Bear, particularly with all the anonymous outing. What What's the most surprising thing you've ever heard or read about yourself? I just avoid it, really. Um, the Bride Strip Bear was such a, a huge time in my life in terms of it. It was very traumatic at the time. I was doorstopped and I was outed by journalists. And as I said to you before, I lost control of the book. And... Uh, it was a horrible feeling to go through. So I just kind of buried myself under a rock for several years and didn't engage in a lot of it because, you know, I got the feeling that it wasn't very nice, the whole thing that was going on. So I kind of stepped away from the whole process and I've been wary of, of going on the whole publicity treadmill a lot ever since then. I, I very rarely do... Um, book tours or um, writers' festivals. I, you know, I, I feel terrible because I say no to a lot. But I also just feel like I'm a mum of four kids. I've got a busy life. All I want to do is write. Mm. And all those things take away from that process of just writing. I'm very excited, actually, by the world of, you know, social media, like Google+. Plus. You know, um, I had a Twitter conversation with uh, American fans the other day, uh, a Twitter chat or something they call it. And for someone like me who shies away from the whole getting out there into the real world and, you know, meeting people in a crowded room and all that kind of thing, it's bliss. It's bliss just to be able to talk to you in, in England, you know, and, and to talk to my fans in America via, uh, via Twitter. I can do all that without it really disturbing my life very much. So for someone like me, it's like, roll on this, real, this new world. I'm excited by it. What would you say has been the most significant moment in your writing career so far? Oh, I'd have to say the moment that my first book, Shiver, was published I had, you know, I'd wanted the writing dream ever since I was 10 and I had a very long apprenticeship writing short stories and getting them published, you know, excruciatingly painfully averaging like one a year in literary magazines, Australian literary magazines. I'd do the scatter bombardment thing. I'd send off my short stories to every magazine that I knew of and, and usually I, I was very lucky that at least one came back with a, with a yes they'd published and that kept me going but it wasn't until my late 20s that I thought I want to do this dream, I want to give this dream a go and see if it can happen before I was 30 
And I sent my novel Shiver Off to an agent and it was rejected. And I can remember that heartbreaking moment when I thought, well, that's it. That's the dream. I, I, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Oh, Nikki, this sounds so much like me. <laughs> <laughs> but then I sent it directly to Random House to an editor that uh, a colleague, she'd had a book published and she said, just send this book to my editor and say, I sent, I sent you and see what she says. And the editor took it in 24 hours. Wow. And, yeah, and, you know, I feel so lucky. But I also feel like I look back at that moment and I think, God, I could have so easily given up. I could have taken the agent's words on board, that, you know, the book wasn't up to scratch or whatever. But what I've realized in terms of this crazy roller coaster of a career is that um, you've got to find your hero and that everyone has got a different opinion. And, you know, what one person loves, another person will hate. And I just so happened to chance upon the person who hated my work as the first person <laughs> I took my manuscript to. And that was absolutely crushing. So because of that crushing moment, you know, when the book was actually accepted, I can still remember so clearly the exhilaration. I was at work and I got a phone call from work from this editor at Random House. And I can still remember when she said, we want to publish your book. And I screamed. And so for me, that was the most significant moment of my writing career. And that, in a way, that moment has kept me going through, you know, bad reviews and, and horribleness and being outed, you know, as anonymous and all the, the things that I've gone through as a writer, that moment of, of exhilaration, that memory of it has kept me going. <laughs> oh, wow, that's really inspiring. I remember uh, reading about you in a, in a book that I picked up at university about 10 years ago, and I think it was Australian Writers on Writing. And, oh, yes, I remember that. And the um, you had written about or, or talked about how um, you were, I think you were working in radio and you worked yes. on Shiver during your lunch breaks. Yes, yes. Um, and you'd just go and burrow yourself away and just write. And so actually I started doing that while I was working yes. full time. I just took my laptop and everything to work and, um, and then I'd just go and find an empty meeting room at lunchtime and I'd just sit there and write for an hour every day yeah. and then I'd go to Starbucks after work and wait for my <laughs> husband to finish work and I'd write again and um, yeah. it hearing you know your your story of how you know you you just really put in the hard graft and and did experience rejection as well it's it's very heartening to realize that it's a process that every writer has to go through because it's, yeah. it is hard work. And that's something uh, that I really appreciated hearing you say on the Google Plus chat last week, where you said that it's, um, you know, it's your job now and you have to be disciplined. So yeah. has that been an, an interesting transition for you? Because it's been a very interesting transition for me, for it to go from something that was something all-consuming passion that filled every spare moment to, to a job, to, to a discipline. So perhaps you could tell us how you found that. It's a terrifying moment of transition, actually. Uh, for me, you know, I've, I've been, you know, writing now for about 20, 25 years. And I've realised over the years that, you know, it's not inspiration. It's not so much talent, all those kind of things. It's discipline and it's tenacity. And for someone like me, I had a journalism background and that gave me respect for deadlines. And so I've always had that in my head ever since then. You know, you've got to complete the deadline. You've just got to finish it. But I do so strongly uh, believe in, in the power of tenacity, just 
keeping on going no matter what and carving out time for yourself and even when you don't feel like doing it like you know just this week with this book I'm working on now I'm just thinking oh I'm so tired and it's a bit flat and it's not quite working but I've got a deadline at the end of the year I just have to keep on going I have to make it work and I carve out time for myself you know it's heading up to 9 p.m. at night here the baby's asleep so I'm working now I just and I think over the years, I've learned a process of just being able to switch on very quickly and know that if I've got an hour or two to spare, I can I, I just seize that time and I'll work very productively because I've got so many things crashing into my world and my thinking now that I've become very used to just taking my little Mac Air everywhere with me in my handbag, just pulling it out, you know, if ever I've got some time to myself and, and going for it to, and constantly keeping notebooks with me and jotting things down because I'm finding as I'm getting older the memories going and, you know, I'll have a thought and, and I'll just think I must write that down uh, you know a character thought or a title thought or whatever I must do that now write it down because otherwise I'll forget it it'll just go so over the years I've just learnt you know little tricks for me that work and, and the writing is getting easier um, I think because you just you just get used to your routine but also for me it was terrifying because I suddenly when I made the decision to um, be a full-time writer, I knew I had to keep earning. And so that was, you know, we had a young family and I, um, I was going off my regular income as a journalist and I thought, right, I'm going to give myself two years here and if I can't do it, I'll have to go back and get a job because basically we couldn't afford not to have me working. So that actually money was a huge imperative for me to just get things done as per deadline, be persistent, be tenacious, be disciplined. And if, if I failed at it, just to be aware that I'd have to go back to the real world and get a real job again. <laughs> I still feel that little kind of catch in my throat of like, oh my God, you know, it's it's so scary. My accountant, he's like, you know, my income's so up and down. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's always really terrifying when we want to try and get a mortgage or whatever because it's like, oh, can we even count me? Because, you know, some years I have bumper years and other years I earn practically nothing. It's um that that's the th- the thing that's um been the hardest for me I think mm. as a full time writer it's it's all the logistics of it it's like having to register mm. as self employed and keeping yeah. all your receipts and getting an accountant and yeah. all the rest of it but it, it it really has been this mindset of it's a job and if I can't make yeah. this work I've got to go out and get another job um, exactly and you've also got to give enough time for it in terms of it's a job so you know mm. every day you've got to be thinking about it and working on it and all that kind of thing how do you switch off that's the hardest thing for me because I feel like I'm always on I'm always thinking or always working on something how do you switch off oh it's hard I I very rarely do actually and that's why I've always got my notebook with me you know like on the dining table or in my handbag or whatever because I'm always thinking about it it's really hard to say do I switch off because I don't really I I, I find Saturday is my one day of the week where I try and just not do any of that but I also feel like the process of writing demands a fresh eye so like at the moment uh, this book I'm writing at the moment, I'm trying. I'm actually reviving it, revising it because I've um I've written it entirely and I'm rewriting it. I try and do a chapter a day, but I try and finish the chapter and then put it aside and sleep overnight because I need that fresh eye in the morning to kind of rejig it again. 
So it's important, I think, to switch off from your writing just so that you can go back to it freshly and it, it kind of throws up the glaring problems or the things that are wrong or the problems of pace or whatever it is. So I guess you just, you know, you just distract yourself from your sleep <laughs> to switch off from it. <laughs> do you show your writing to people while it's in progress or do you prefer to wait until it's finished? I prefer to wait. And I, I think that's another thing about finding your champion in terms of me and my writing career. Over the years, I've had various readers who've, actually been more off-putting than encouraging and I think that's a danger if you show it to other people. You have to find someone who's totally on your wavelength and on your side. I did a master's in writing and I, I used to sometimes wonder, you know, there were some tutors there, not so much with me but I'd see it with others who were kind of destructive in their criticisms and I think, you know, we're such a mass of insecurities as, as writers we need to find someone who's going to be constructively criticising us and gently criticising us rather than destroying our confidence mm. because it's very easy to destroy our confidence so much that we'll, ne we'll never want to go back to it. My agent is someone who I trust implicitly. He's a former editor himself at Cape and then he went across into um, agenting. And he's my reader. And what I will usually do is I'll, I'll submit a novel to him and then he will call me into his office and he'll have pages, you know, about 10 pages of notes. And it might be things like you've got to change the ending or get rid of that character or this doesn't work or, or the, the prologue doesn't work or the first chapter or whatever. And I'll usually go away from that meeting and work on the book for sometimes up to six months. Because for him, he knows that he only gets one shot at this book in terms of selling it. And he wants to make it the best book that he can. So he really edit, edits it. He does the kind of oxy-welding, the huge editing for me. And um, I absolutely trust him. I trust his eye. I think he knows what he's on about. And so I just do what he says. And it's only when he's happy with the manuscript that it gets sent off to a publisher. Well, there's a, there's a lot of debate about whether you know, creative writing, writing fiction, whether that can be taught. What, what, what is your view on that? I'm, I'm of the opinion that it can and because I'm, I'm a product of um, an MA in creative writing and, and, yes, there's a lot of people who say, you know, airy-fairy stuff, whatever. But I was very lucky in terms of I did it at, at UTS in um, Sydney, a very famous course here in Australia, and I had a wonderful, wonderful supervisor called Glenda Adams, who crucially herself was a working novelist. She'd won the Miles Franklin here in Australia, which is our, our most prestigious literary prize. And she was very generous. She was just she was a writer very successful in her own right. She didn't have agendas. She very generously wanted the um, people she was supervising to succeed. And she instilled in me uh, the power of discipline and tenacity and all those kind of things. And over several years, just listening to her process of writing, I found so kind of galvanizing and inspiring. But she also helped me practically in terms of agents, how to get them, how to deal with them, how to deal with publishers, all those kind of things. And I can remember one thing she said to me that I've never forgotten, and I still carry that lesson with me through my writing life, and in fact I'm applying it tonight to this children's book I'm writing. She said, Mickey, the hardest thing to ever do is to get the reader to turn the page. You mustn't bore them. You must always propel them 
to turn the page and to keep on turning the page until they finish that wretched book. And I've, I've always thought about that, how important that is, a, a kind of a, a narrative with momentum, a galloping narrative. And so I think, you know, lessons like that, create, creative writing courses can teach you those. So I'm very much a champion of them. So would you say that's the best writing advice you've ever received or are there any other gems <laughs> you've had over the years? Oh, no, I'd say that probably is the best writing device, uh, advice. I think she probably expressed it a bit more elegantly. But, um, yes, in terms of, you know, a galloping narrative. And I love it. And people have been saying that a lot with, um, with my body. And they also used to say it about Bride is that they stayed up all night to read it or they read it in two or three days. They couldn't put it down. And to me, that's the most wonderful, wonderful, encouraging thing to hear as a writer because then I think, yes, I've succeeded. I've got them to turn the page. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the worst um, advice you've ever received or heard about writing? Oh, I'd have to say it was that first agent who rejected my first manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was completely flattening. And, and the thing was, I believed her. I, I, I just believed, you know, I, I, I had such a lack of confidence in terms of my writing that I thought, oh, well, she must be right. There goes the dream. And I just feel so grateful to that colleague of mine who just said, look, don't listen to her. Just, you know, try someone else and keep on trying until you get it published. Um, so. I'll bet that agent's kicking themselves now. <laughs> <laughs> They're out of business now. They stopped being an agent. Oh, really? Well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like, uh, when was it? I was 28 or so. So it was almost 20 years ago. <laughs> So the future of publishing is also a really big topic um, mm. today. Mm. So, you know, with e-books, um, e-publishing, um, all the rest mm. of it. So I'm curious, how do you buy your books? Do you buy them online or in a physical bookshop or, or both? I feel appalling. I, I, I'm so embarrassed to say this. I rarely go into a bookstore now. I just find I'm so sick of going into bookstores because I love really obscure poets. I use poetry as my tuning fork when I'm writing and I'm so sick of going into bookstores and scouring, you know, the poetry section, with, which is probably like one shelf or two shelves, yeah. very minute. <laughs> and, you know, it never has the poet that I'm looking for and then you go up to the person at the counter and they just look blank. It is so much easier to just go onto Amazon. Even in Australia, I feel terrible saying this. <laughs> just go onto Amazon and just order it with the click of a button. So that's what I do. <laughs> so are you reading a lot of poetry? at the moment I do and I always read poetry I'm actually not reading anything at the moment because I'm writing so hard with this deadline on me and that's getting back to the discipline and tenacity it's just I have to get this book done so I'm writing it in every available moment but I'm excited by the future of publishing I don't feel like you know reading is dying in any way no um, me neither I, I think it's expanding in new and wonderful ways and I just want to embrace it. That's why, why I love that, you know, we can engage with writers now with Google Earth and Twitter chats and all the rest of it. But also I look at books like the fantastic flying books of Maurice Lessmore, which you can get, you know, as an app on your iPad. And you don't really know what that is. Is it a movie, a book, a game? And my kids, when I downloaded it, they just instantly knew how to play it, whereas I was just reading it conventionally. And they opened it up to this whole other world, and it felt so exciting mm. to kind of be working that out with them. So I thought, this is the future. It's really, really exciting. What is the, the book or, or books that you would say have had the most significant impact on your life and work? 
In terms of my writing, it's, it's a really slim little book called Coming Through Slaughter by Michael and Darcy. And I, I was introduced to it at university d- during my master's in writing course. And I just seized upon it because it's so, it's unconventional. It's, it's, it's narrative fiction, it's biography, it's non-fiction, there's a bit of photography through it, it's very poetic, but there are kind of transcripts of um, interviews there as well, there are medical records through it, it's a bit of everything, it's a real mishmash, it was written in the 70s, it was quite revolutionary, and I found it utterly compelling and exciting, because it was like, um, it broke the mould, it it felt so fresh at the time and it still feels very fresh I think it was, was it Ezra Pound who said make it new and when I when I read that book I thought that's the aphorism personified make it new and in a way that I, what that's what I've been trying to do with my own fiction ever since is to bring that freshness and that audacity and, and that sense of daring into my own writing um I better let you get back to your writing I'm very oh, no, very it, very grateful for the time that you've given I think people are going to be absolutely blown away by um hearing what you've had to say it's it's certainly really inspired and motivated me to to keep on going um so thank you thank you very very much indeed okay have a lovely day that was nikki gemmel author of with my body the bride stripped bear and many other novels which i thoroughly recommend you seek out all the details of nikki's books will be on the bookends website which is www.bookendspodcast all one word .wordpress.com and also all the other books and authors that she mentioned will be listed there too if you're interested. I really hope you enjoyed this very first episode of Bookends. Thank you for listening and thanks once again to Nikki Gemmel for her time and sharing her wisdom. There are lots of other exciting interviews lined up in the coming weeks so I hope you'll tune in each Wednesday to see who's next. Next week, I've got Sunday Times best-selling author Lisa Jewell in the hot seat with me, so I hope very much to have you join us. Bye for now. Bye.